0: Regenerative medicine is rapidly moving from the lab to the clinic, but as life-saving therapies advance to the marketplace, there are questions about whether the U.S. Food and Drug Administration needs to modernize its regulatory approach to gene and cell therapies. We spoke to Michael Werner, Executive Director of the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine, about the state of the industry, the regulatory environment today, and whether it will ultimately be payers who are more demanding of data, to convince them of the worth of a therapy. Michael, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Good to be here. We're going to talk about the rapidly advancing world of regenerative medicine, where we are in terms of the regulatory landscape, and what needs to be done to ensure the FDA is positioned to review new gene and cell therapies. But perhaps we can begin with the recent approval of Chimera. The first gene therapy to be approved in the United States. This is a a CAR T cell therapy for acute lymphoblastic leukemia. What would you say the significance of this approval is, and, and what does it say about where we are with the field of regenerative medicine today?
1: Uh, well, Dan, I mean this is this is a game changing moment in not only in
0: regenerative medicine and
1: cell and gene therapy, but also I think in um, it's not too much of a stretch to say in in biomedical advances or in, in medical treatment um, for patients with cancer. I mean, the significance here, of course, that um, patients with currently no other treatment options um, not only have uh, a treatment they can they can look to, but um, a treatment with extraordinary um, data in terms of remission rates. So um, the idea that um, a patient can... Um, get a treatment uh, sort of once, one administration of a treatment, if you will, and um, possibly see their cancer go into remission um, is is really an extraordinary development um, for patients. It's incredibly exciting because now that it's been done, we know that um, that's just the tip of the iceberg, that the best is yet to come. There's so much... There are so many products in the pipeline, um, and I think uh, we're now f- for sure entering this new age of, of medicine, and it's good news for patients.
0: Despite this recent approval, FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb recently talked about the FDA needing to modernize the way the agency reviews gene and cell therapies. What's the regulatory environment today for, for gene and cell therapies? Is it in need of modernizing? Are there particular areas of concern to the industry?
1: Well, I think that um, the, the regulatory approval process um, for cell and gene therapy um, is, is clearly not broken, right? It clearly works. We, we're just talking about um, a, a, a new innovative product that's been approved and lots of other products uh, to come. I think what Dr. Gottlieb was talking about, um, which is consistent with his view, kind of across the agency and across technologies, is that um, we can do we can do even better in terms of um, keeping up with the pace of innovation, in terms of providing um, clarity to product developers about what the FDA's um, uh, pathway looks like, what kind of data they're looking for. Um, how many patients need to be in the trials to to achieve that? Um, I think I think when the when the commissioner is talking about modernization, that's what he's talking about. He's not suggesting that that products with strong clinical data can't come to market. I think what he's saying is that we can we can even do better than we're doing now. There are a lot of areas in the regenerative cell medicine, cell and gene therapy space where um, uh, uh, the product developers um, want to have more information about what kind of data FDA is looking for. They want to have more interactions with the agency. They want to be able to use um, potentially a, a fewer number of clinical trial sites um, early on. And rather than that happening on a one-off basis or a case-by-case basis, I think what Dr. Gottlieb is talking about, which which I think the field is looking for, is let's try to institutionalize some of these ideas and thereby, quote-unquote, modernizing um, the regulatory process. And we saw we saw the agency starting to do that um, with the armat um, designation, which, of course, was... Um, Enacted uh, late in 2016 and the agency is starting to implement that now over the past few months and um, So so I think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about kind of taking those kinds of of, um, Improvements and spreading them across across this whole field and as I said, I I really think that's what dr. Gottlieb is trying to do um, agency-wide for a lot of different technologies, but clearly Clearly, he sees the value of regenerative medicine in terms of um, addressing patient needs. Um, he's talked about it. He's talked about specifically focusing on on it. And... Um, Again, that's that's great news. That's great, certainly great news for patients, and it's going to mean that the field is going to develop even more rapidly.
0: Well, one thing investors and companies are always concerned about is predictability. How predictable is the process for gene and cell therapies at FDA today?
1: Well, I think it's pretty predictable. I think um, uh, I think the issue is that um, uh, I well, I guess I'll say it this way it's predictable when um, sponsors um, understand what the requirements are and what the rules are and what fda's data needs are and um, i think what we've found uh is that that information or that level of knowledge is not consistent across the board in 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 the in the industry or in the academia or in the drug development space and so I think a lot of what we're seeing, a lot of what ARM has advocated over the years has been, um, it's not that FDA, you at FDA aren't doing a good job or, or, or that you're being opaque or any of those things. It's just that the field has grown rapidly and there's a lot of folks who don't have as much experience in the regulatory process, perhaps. And therefore need a little bit more information and need a little bit more transparency. So it's not that the system itself needs the, the regulations themselves need more transparency. I think that it's often that the agency needs to be more transparent about what the rules are. Certainly there, are, you know, we can all think of examples where some clarity about how the rules might be applied would be appropriate. But it's also that the, that I think people are looking for the agency to be more, um, uh, public and, and, and transparent about what the rules, what the rules are. And I think that's why, um, the provision in the ARMAT, um, designation that allows sponsors to have early interactions with the agency, I think that's why that's so significant. Because that means that, that sponsors can come in and they can meet with the agency and they can talk about their science and they can talk about their clinical plan and they can get feedback from the agency and who can say to them, yeah, that's going to be great. Here's what we need you to show us. Or, wow, you guys are, you know, what you are thinking about actually, we're kind of skeptical because that doesn't seem to work based on our understanding. And, and I think, you know, Companies just need to know what the rules are and they need to know what the requirements are. And then it's up to them to develop a clinical program that responds to what the FDA says, responds to what the regulations are, and demonstrates safety and effectiveness of a product.
0: I I got the sense from his comments that there was some concern that companies, particularly smaller companies, were... Overloading the applications to to get into the clinic and and thinking that they needed to do much more or say much more than the FDA really is concerned with at this point. Is that the case from um, your experience? I don't, I
1: don't know that. Um, you could be right. I, I hadn't heard that, and I didn't I didn't interpret his comments that way. I interpret them more that there are a lot of. Um, uh, folks who don't have as much experience getting a product through the process, and they need more guidance and they need more information. And and perhaps what you're saying is just sort of another is kind of a, the flip side of saying of that. But I but that's how I interpret it. That that you know we just need to do a better job of 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 letting people know what they can do and having a process that provides that kind of feedback. Um, I don't know if real time is exactly right, but provides that kind of feedback in a timely way so that, um, you know, people don't waste a lot of time, you know, pursuing avenues that aren't going to aren't going to be acceptable to the agency.
0: Well, you remarked on there being 626 investigational new drug applications for for cell and gene therapies in process right now that's a, a remarkable number uh, i know the yeah. industry is always concerned about the the bandwidth of the fda does the fda have staff to move these in a, a timely manner
1: well i think that you know to some extent that's a, that's a question for the agency i think that i think that number is significant because it demonstrates how this field is taking off right i mean if we had this conversation 2 years ago or if Dr. Gottlieb was a commissioner two years ago, or Dr. Taylor, I guess, wouldn't have said there's 600, you know, people who are applying, you know, in the IMD um, pipeline. So I think, one, it's that significant. Look, I think that, you know, Congress um, just worked with the agency, and the agency just negotiated our user fee agreement, right, over the last several months. And so the agency had, you know, um, all of that information, available to them. So when they negotiate that deal with Congress and with industry, they know how many applications there are, not just in regenerative medicine, but for example, for the entire um, Center for Biologics, they know how many applications there are, they know the workforce needs they've got to take care of them. So uh, those 600 applications didn't happen in the last, you know, two months. So I'm going to assume that um, the agency had a pretty good read on how many applications they had. And when they were working with Congress on what the size of the user fee program should be and what their resources requirements were, that that was factored into those, those conversations. But, but specifically, you know, I, I don't have any specific infor- information other than that.
0: If you look at Gottlieb's writings prior to becoming commissioner, he- He seems to argue that the FDA needs to consider the distinct risk of a technology rather than focus on the the clinical considerations like indication and target. He says he doesn't want to lower the bar for approval, but seems to argue for an approach more reliant on market surveillance than pre-market review. Do you see this evolving for the way the FDA looks at regenerative therapies? And how do you think that might alter the clinical development and post-market life of these therapies? A really good question, and
1: I'm not, and and I I don't I don't have a sense of 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 kind of what that means for for these therapies Um, specifically. I think that um, he I agree with your assessment that that he seems to be um, he has in the past, and I think even his statements. Now, again, even beyond regenerative medicine and cell gene therapy seem to indicate that kind of approach, an approach, you know, kind of a real, the agency always talks about a risk-based approach and always, of course, has a risk-benefit paradigm that they use. But but I, I agree with you that Dr. Gottlieb seems especially focused on that and especially in in a way that might not change the approval standards, but... But might change the way FDA looks at data and and um, and when they look at it. And I think that um, again, we saw a little of this, you know, in the uh, you know sh- you know foretelling of this a little bit in the RMAT, um designation. But I think that um, um, from from the industry's perspective, there has to be, you know, I, I think people in the industry know. That the commercial acceptance of these products, um, is, is based on the public's confidence that the FDA is, and, and, you know, the medical community's confidence that the FDA's scientific review, clinical review is rigorous and that the products have been proven to be safe and effective. And, um, um, you know, we all know about the history of, of the gene therapy field and, What happened to the field as a result of an adverse event, you know, many years ago and how long it took the field to come back. So people in this, in this field are well aware of the fact that we need to make sure that products are safe and effective. And so certainly product developers bear that responsibility, but the agency bears the responsibility too. And at ARM, at our organization, at the Alliance, we've We've had a partnership with the agency all these years and said to them hey we, your mission is to make sure products safe and effective products come to market We agree with that mission we support that mission in fact we think we have the same mission um, what is that so the, so the standards have to remain high we have to make sure that products demonstrate safety and effectiveness Now might there be ways that we can use sort of new, evaluative technologies or other ways that we could sort of say, hey, this product has demonstrated safety and effectiveness, and we don't need to do uh, full-blown phase one, two, three clinical trials um, because you know, because the patient populations are small or for any number of reasons. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of thing that Dr. Gottlieb wants to talk about. And I think that's the kind of thing that everybody in the space um, wants to talk about. It's making sure that the products are safe and effective, but maybe there's more efficient ways, efficient ways to do that. And I think that, and just to just to add a, a point, I think that Dr. Gottlieb's um, statements about how the FDA is going to um, um, enforce their rules and go after some of the unregulated clinics and nefarious actors who are who are sort of selling quote-unquote stem cell treatments um and either making claims that they can't back up or in some cases are actively doing things that are dangerous i think that shows that he that he kind of is 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 making that balance too that he wants to make sure that products are safe and effective but maybe there are other ways that we can that we can talk about to to make that happen
0: you you've made a couple of references to arm the. Regenerative medicine, advanced therapy designation for listeners who may not be familiar with that. What is ARMAT? What does that do, and, and how meaningful a benefit does that provide developers of regenerative therapies?
1: Sure. Well, it's incredibly meaningful because um, it does it does a couple of things. What it what it does is it first of all and fundamentally it demonstrates. Um, or I should say perhaps recognizes on the part of, of Congress and on the part of the FDA the importance of regenerative medicine technologies. Um, and by that I mean I'm thinking of it broadly, right? Cell therapies and gene therapies and the like. So the fact that we have this designation whereby um technologies in that space um have the opportunity to have access to FDA's existing expedited approval processes is an incredibly significant event other countries had said over the last several years japan one the uk another one had kind of taken very affirmative steps to support research and product development in this space and so what the armat designation does is it says hey you know here in the united states we're going to do the same thing we're going to recognize the the um economic importance of these technologies, we're going to recognize the public health importance of these technologies, and we're going to um, create a mechanism whereby um, product developers in this space can have access to um, FDA's existing expedited approval processes. So your, your listeners probably already know that, you know, there's sort of traditional ways that FDA approves products and then there are ways that are designed to kind of speed up the process without lowering standards, but speed up the process because, for example, the product might be um, designed to treat a life threatening illness or something like that. And those are called the FDA's expedited approval processes. And so what the RMAT designation does is it says, hey, if you're if you've got a regenerative medicine technology and you've got some good preliminary clinical evidence. Um, You can, uh, if the FDA thinks you qualify, you can have access to these expedited approval processes. And that means that you'll be able to talk to the agency uh, earlier. As I mentioned, you get earlier interactions with the agency. It means that you'll be able to use so-called real-world evidence, after you reach the market with, uh, to, to sort of meet post-marketing commitments. So that means that you don't necessarily have to run a, a, a phase four clinical trial. You can just collect patient data um, from clinical use of your product and submit that to the agency. And you also might be able to use a limited number of clinical trial sites, among other things. Now the agency has to agree to all of this, so you as a company don't get to just decide you're going to do it. But it means that you can actually engage in that conversation with the FDA um, about all of those things. And the reason why all of that is significant is because it sends it gets to what we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, which is that it sends a signal to product developers in this space that the FDA wants you to come forward and is open to you coming forward and talking to them about your clinical program and about potentially other ways that you can meet their safety and effectiveness needs. They still have to approve it. They still have to, you know, you're still going to have to um, meet the same standards you otherwise would have, but now you get to have these very interesting conversations. And so what that means is that if you're, uh, number one, if you are thinking about starting a company, you might decide you want to use your tech. You know, you you will commercialize a regenerative medicine therapy because you have this nice little um, process. It also means that if you're in this space, you get to have that conversation with the FDA. And if you get to have that conversation with the FDA, in an aggregate sense, sort of across uh, you know many many companies statistically, that's going to mean more products are likely. To get approved, and so the significance of the RMAT designation really can't be under, uh, I guess, can't be overstated. It's a very, very significant development um, um, in the field uh, in the United States, and I think really, you know, sets the stage uh, for for future for future product approvals.
0: As, as regenerative medicine companies think about clinical trial designs and the data they collect is there actually more pressure coming from payers than the FDA? Is it going to take more evidence of the value of the therapy than the data needed to establish its safety and efficacy in terms of making these therapies commercially viable?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's more pressure. I would say that certainly payers are um, another audience uh, that commercial developers have um, have to speak to. And have to respond to, and certainly um, payers, both public payers like Medicare, Medicaid, or or commercial payers, uh, private payers, um, have, as you said, they have data needs and and interests, and they they look at things a little bit differently than the FDA. They're not just looking at safety and effectiveness, but they might be looking at sort of what's the extent of the clinical benefit and how does it compare to other treatments and You know, what are the cost, you know, is it cost effective and what kind of value does it provide and all of those, all of those things. So I don't think it's more pressure. I think it now is just, it behooves product developers in this space to be working with the payer community to understand their data needs so that when you're putting together your clinical program, you can be collecting data that responds to those questions because some of those questions are going to be different. Different than the FDA's, than the FDA's questions, but I think clearly what we're seeing, and clearly what's significant about the Chimera approval, is that you have CMS issuing a statement basically saying, yeah, I mean this is a new product. It treats, you know, it's innovative. It treats, you know, patients who had no other solution. We, as a, as a public agency, we need to figure out how we're going to pay for this you know, we need to pay for this, we need to work with the industry to develop alternative payment models so that we can support new and, and innovative mar- uh, products coming to market. And certainly at the Alliance, we spend a lot of time working with, um, thinking about these issues and working with the payer community so they understand the value of of these therapies and the clinical benefits they provide and the cost effectiveness they provide, and so um, it's a, is it a, you know, another set of hurdles for product developers? Absolutely, but I think um, they're getting ready for that, and I think that the payer community is interested in, in having these, um, in having these, these conversations.
0: Michael Werner, Executive Director of the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine. Michael, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Pleasure to be here.